Hello and welcome to the Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laurie Eaves. And I'm Hannah Hutzber. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community in London and beyond. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all awesome poetry from London's spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll be interviewing Rick Dove and chatting about Don't Call Us Dead by Danae Smith. And we'll be bringing you a poetry writing tip from Catherine O'Driscoll and a poetry recording from one of our favourite poets. This month is Martin Gray. But first, what have you been up to this month? Uh, Laurie, do you want to kick us off? <laughs> this month I've been up to a few things. Obviously, we're still in this weird no-gig limbo purgatory land that we all live in nowadays. It's become our everyday mm-hmm. life. Um, but I've been doing a few things. I watched Erin Boland's uh, book launch for her new book, Alternate Endings, which was great with Harry Baker guesting, which was a really nice gig uh Aaron sent harry some cake i think that arrived during the gig <laughs> like during harry's <laughs> that's perfect which was just beautiful um so i enjoyed that uh, i've been still doing tim claire's 100 day writing challenge i'm on day 45 now having missed a couple of days um i've been doing some editing for some other writers which has been exciting um nice to kind of get a bit of teeth cut on some different projects there and also yeah i've been um doing some stuff trying to set up a little bit more the spoken word record label that i'm working on Mm -hmm. managed to finally get the uh the old cassette of biceps up on your spotify's and your google music's and whatever they all are distribution people digital distribution really boring admin bits of poetry of the poetry world but stuff that's still really important so that's what i think did so we are we allowed to talk about your record label and the the plan to get records pressed are we uh, allowed to you are that? allowed to talk about that but i'm still working on it at the minute <laughs> which is um i'm looking to put together a compilation record um of some different poets that i like and maybe do a proper proper vinyl record at some point but it's still in progress at the minute so that's what we've been up to yeah, that's my that's been my month. Excellent. How about you, Hannah? Relatively quiet, but two really, really good gigs. Um, one of which was Poetry Slam at your place. Uh, again, New Zealand on a Sunday morning. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> I love it to bits, but I think I do need to expand my attendance purely because when lockdown happened, I just moved house and I had absolutely shy internet, like not proper broadband yet, and. Sunday morning the UK hadn't woken up enough that that was like the one I could attend (laughs) um so I feel like I've fallen slightly into rut in terms of my attendance although what is on show there is always incredible and international as well um because Rick's obviously from the UK originally there's there's a mix of UK artists who I haven't seen in ages from different cities and Antipodean poets I haven't seen before it's it's an awesome lovely night and also some some just like wild cards from America as well. Quite a few times that, I, that mm-hmm. I've been there as well, just from sort of very very random cities in America. It's amazing. Yeah. So I I love that one, but I feel like we've given it so much <laughs> time and praise already that I should I should track down more things to talk about for this. Um, and also Insight, which is the one that I host every month. Um, we we had our first feature acts, and, and who was that, Hannah? That was the awesome poet Rick Dove. Huh. Rick Dove, huh? Hello, Rick. <laughs> yeah. 
Anybody know this Rick Dub chap? So it rings a bell, yeah. <laughs> so we'll be hearing more from Rick soon. But it's someone rhymes with shove. Yeah, can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Richard, um, somebody, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Um, so we'll be talking more about uh, we'll be talking more about and to Rick very soon. But it's been very interesting on a on a broader note. I feel like it's the third one that we've run online and I think that it is sort of starting to find its feet because that's that's been a whole process is like the first online one shit will anyone turn up I don't know is this still fun um so it's been really nice seeing that kind of blossom ripen yeah sort of sort of come into being properly but also because it's a night which I'm now I used to sort of stand in occasionally and host it when Caroline Teague who usually hosted it um couldn't caroline is now in brighton i'm now sort of running it back in the days when those sorts of things used to matter like cities and locations geography yeah (laughs) well of course that too but yeah it's it's the first time that we've had a feature act and it's been really nice i'm now yeah plotting plotting a a year's worth or remaining six months worth of acts and that's that's a really nice kind of what shape do i want this night to have um also some of the absolute highlights of that uh night were elizabeth mcgune did an awesome gorgeous poem about school bullying through a very very witchy extended metaphor which um absolutely hit all my buttons for love it love it need to hear that yeah i I love elizabeth she's great so she's based in northern ireland um and she's fantastic i've never seen her she's she constantly comes up in my um you might know on facebook she's always like the first one (laughs) and i've not seen her or met her but you know hearing great things (laughs) Yeah, I realised we were following each other already on Twitter, and I think it's because she does Lost Lit regularly as well. And we also had uh, Robert Garnham, who is uh, based in Devon, I think, and I've I've seen a few times, but not for ages, but again, can be a regular with the online gigs, had an incredible poem where he used a salad spinner to make the background noise of a train. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And... It was so just good. incredible, and I, I think also with a with a specialist night, it can be because it's an LGBTQ plus uh, night specifically. It can occasionally, it can tilt towards let's all share our trauma related to mm-hmm. our experience as LGBTQ people, and so having some just absolutely ridiculous, goofy. I, I, I wear a top hat when I'm hosting and I literally lean back in my office chair enough that I drop my hat off my head um, <laughs> laughing at Robert's set. So, yeah. Many years ago, I saw Robert um, back at Banks at the Gun when it used to be at the Roebuck and mm. he did this performance as part of his set. I'm not sure if I can call it a poem, um, but he um, took from a plastic bag that he had on the stage a feather boa, a waistcoat, a fake moustache, I think, uh, top hat, stood up to the microphone, stood back from the microphone, took off the top hat, took off the fake moustache, took off the feather boa, took off the waistcoat, grabbed his <laughs> book and said, and here's another poem. <laughs> it was one of the most surreal but brilliant physical performances. That's, that's awesome. 
Yeah. He's got a new EP out actually called Aviation. That's really cool as well. That's worth checking out poetry and music. Mm. Yes, and he's got a podcast that you were on recently, right? Um, not a podcast on his website. He interviewed me for um, ah. for his website, which was very nice. <laughs> What's the website called? It's professorofwhimsy.com. Ah, cool. Excellent. What have you been up to, Rebecca? What have I been up to? Uh, well, I've had a marvellous time ruining everything. Yeah? How? Uh, sorry, uh, I've, I've, is there a gag? I assumed you'd listen to the new Taylor Swift album. Oh, folklore. Uh, oh, yeah, there is a song on it about a woman called Rebecca. Oh, yes. She had a marvellous time ruining everything. Oh, between that and Becky with the good hair, you're not you're not having a good time in song, are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a great it's a great song, and I loved it. But uh, yeah, I wanted to put it in the Facebook status very badly, but I was very, I, I knew I would get a lot of uh, you okay, Huns, from people having <laughs> So I was like, no. Anyway, sorry. Um, so no, uh, my life is fine. Just so we're clear, I'm absolutely just, fine. Just life for the record, the uh, Dixie, the, sorry, no, the Chicks' new album. I prefer to folklore, which, you know, probably get me pilloried, but there you go. Oh, I haven't heard that one yet, so I will. Oh, you totally should. It's so good. Uh, But um, no, uh, apart from that, I had, tell you what, highlight of my poetry month was I had a really nice rejection. So Mm -hmm. I submitted to the Verve Poetry Press pamphlet submissions mm-hmm. and uh didn't get published and it, it was one of those things that the more i was working on the more you know the, the the more the more work you do on something the more you're like no this needs more work and more work and more work but i thought okay mm-hmm. submit it anyway see what's happening and they came back to me and they sort of said we can't give feedback but you should know that we had 500 submissions and you were in the top 10 percent shortlist so like that's great mm-hmm. that's really yeah, and as, as rejections go yeah. that was a really nice one and that buoyed me up <laughs> so yeah that was good um yeah, other than that, what have I done this month? Uh, I, went, I uh, took part in Ooh Beehive, uh, which was fun. Ooh Beehive? Yes, um, run by Clive Osman uh, down in Swindon. Again, not that such things matter anymore. So yeah, that was good. Like 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 you, Hannah, I do feel like I need to branch out a little bit more and um, try and see see other gigs. Uh, so yeah, other than that, uh, poetry-wise, I got pissed off with the state of the charity sector today. So uh, in my normal life, I, I'm a journalist writing about the charity sector, and it's been fucking miserable because all the redundancies are coming through because they haven't mm-hmm. been fundraised, and demand has gone through the roof, so they have no money, so they're making redundancies left, right, and centre. Mm. And um, so I just... I finished the latest news story and then just went on burning eye books and started buying books because i just i can't so i've ordered leanne moden's books and like a bunch oh of yeah i really want to read that because i'm just like yeah sod it i can't i can't be asked with the real world anymore i want poetry so yeah so i'll wait for that to turn up so yeah apart from rage ordering books not a lot <laughs> so that was my month rick uh so our, our guest uh, rick dove is in fact a, a part of the conversation as you'll, you'll have heard him so yeah how's your month been rick um it's been it's been quite quiet actually because I've got a full time well I had a full time day job uh, running events which you know everyone who's in arts will know that you need to have like something that pays rent um, mm-hmm. and I chose events as my thing to pay my rent so COVID has been interesting mm-hmm. should we say the events company I worked for had sort of seventeen events in the year and they've cancelled all but one um, and I got them made redundant um, oh, on the twentieth. Yeah. So basically all I've done since then is just gone, oh, let's plow all of my energy into the artistic thing, which has been really cool. Um, made Did a few submissions, got a nice rejection from 
uh, oh god, Boyega's bath mag, and yeah, and just worked on book, got the last few bits of admin on that done, and also signed up for a whole load of like free workshops and stuff over the last over the next month when I've actually got some time off for gardening leave. So it's been um, up and down, but it's ended on a really nice positive note where I actually get to put some time and effort into um, the thing I really enjoy doing. Amazing. Mm. Um, and you are an an excellent person to hire for people working in. Do you want? Do you want to put the pitch or? <laughs> <laughs> honestly, honestly, if there's anyone in the events industry that doesn't mind me working for them, that would be awesome. But um, I do also appreciate that probably no one in the events industry is hiring because there are no. <laughs> I mean, Glastonbury got cancelled. The um, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, it's like that thing where you kind of go. What else can be cancelled from this year? So we've lost Glastonbury, we've lost Wimbledon. Oh, oh, the Notting Hill Carnival. Um, oh, yeah, it's been mad. So let's not let's not stress about it. Hyde Park, Winter Wonderland. I think that's probably like the Winter last Wonderland, one. Wonderland, that's probably gone. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's. I don't think that we could, yeah, yeah, the events on that landscape is. Yeah, that's really depressing. Actually, let's not. But yeah, I love live events. I love meeting people. So um, when it all kicks off again, I will be there in whatever capacity. And if you are discovering this podcast in six months' time, uh, do do get in touch with us to talk to Rick for your, your upcoming event. Shall we move on to the interview? This month's interview is with Rick Dove. Rick is a London-based poet and storyteller. A regular performer on the London poetry scene since late 2015, Rick has been published in Poetry Zines, National Press, his own solo pamphlet and full collection. His work blends the old and new, taking a keen interest in both societal and personal change and how they interact as we grow. His collection, Tales from the Other Box, is out in August with Burning Eye. So, Rick, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. And uh, could you kick us off with a poem? Yeah, sure. Here we go. I think I'll take one from the new book. Um, it's called Bucketless. Capitalism is putting out a fire with a bucket. The trickle of the whole of the base of it and having to carry said bucket from the lake edge to the suit of it. The fire, that is. And what is your strategy in this? Is it in the steady stream of half buckets, anxiously and hurriedly, backwards and forwards, forwards and backwards, more than enough to make sure of enough? Or is it more conservatively in believing you have the time to plug the hole before you go and committing early to that belief that efficiency and the lack of waste in your own energy is the key? Capitalism is filling the bucket with poured possessions to a raging fire made of need. Capitalism is the bucket maker's greed, selling straw as kindling with black market weed. There's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza, you used to sing to me. That one bucket was enough for Maslow's hierarchy. You used to sing to me, there's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza. That all abundance is about anxiety, around security, about the fear of fire that our newsreels bleed. There's a hole in my bucket, you used to sing to me. My bucket, a hole. Capitalism is black market buckets, reselling buckets to stockpile to fight price fix, reading buckets diplomas at buckets universities, studying the amendments in the very definition of freedom, all about buckets and straw and a straw man's deeds. Capitalism is a media obsessed with buyers. Even the ones with deniers, even the ones we started abroad and still sell the straw to feed. 
Capitalism is the very idea of buckets, with buckets as seeds and peer-reviewed year-on-year growth in perpetuity and bucket salesman arsonists suggesting the blood of refugees is just as good as water. And better for the bucket's longevity. It's only thicker when your family, you see. Capitalism is an endless game of buckets, bucketing down with rain, and when into every life some rain must fall, the bucket is the panacea, catch all. Capitalism is our willing acceptance and yes, total denial of all of this until we kick it. Bucket, that is. <laughs> well, Cheers. Thank you, Rick. Um, so, yeah, so we, we quite like to start off by asking people how they first got into spoken word. Um, I got into spoken word kind of by accident, actually. It was a weird thing because I was writing poetry since probably 16 um, and then stopped for ages. Um, life got in the way, went to university, got a job working for ages and then um, had a, a relationship breakup, which meant that I was using social media a bit more than normal, stumbled across um, poetry on Twitter uh, posted a couple of poems on Twitter. Someone suggested I went to an open mic night in London, um, and that was about five years ago. And um, I went to my first spoken word night, and I was hooked. And that was it. <laughs> it what was, was it? Yeah, it was a simple. Uh, the first one I went to was the Chocolate Poetry Club. Ah, uh, okay. Um, back then, they were based out of a bar called Communion in Camberwell, um, okay. and they've moved and grown a lot since so now they've got a, a night i know in uh well when things are uh and we can all go to things um they've got, got a night up in camden and one down in clapham now so um yeah it's they've like gone from strength to strength um and yeah it's been mad so yeah i started there read a poem got hooked and then um yeah just went and found more places more people fell in with a scene um, centred around sort of uh, Genesis Slam and uh, the Boomerang Club. Ooh. And, yeah, the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> it's active history. It's something that's going on, you know, all the time. Like, and your poems are like bad segue, but your poems make, always make me think of, like, taking history and, and sort of reframing it into now with things like the the chat or um uh like your, your schrodinger's cat poem lifting the lid it always feels like you're reaching back to bring stuff forward i think um the shape of human interaction the actual shapes of human interaction so uh, like one any two people interacting the shape of it hasn't changed over history the context has changed mm. but the individual interactions between individuals they haven't that they're fundamental whether you love someone hate someone dislike someone because of their race like someone because of their sexuality those interactions those things don't change um what changes is the context around us we get more accepting we we grow as a society but the individual interactions never change so you can go back to those and they will remain timeless and Laurie mentioned a couple of your, a couple of 
very good poems of yours and they're not the ones that we've heard from you. Could you sort of either could we get you to do those or could you sort of talk a bit about some of the sort of common themes in your work? Okay, well, there's a, a poem that Laurie mentioned called The Chat. Um, that poem was inspired by me having a conversation with my little sister, actually, uh, about my niece, massively into dancing. And she'd come back from a dance lesson at five and a half and said to my sister that one of the girls in the in the ballet class had turned to her and said she was ugly because her skin was the colour of poop. Oh, and, um, and my sister um, had to have a conversation with my five-year-old niece about racism. And I realised that I'd had that same conversation with my parents about seven. Um, I realised that I'd had to have that conversation with my own son, um, and you—it it suddenly it became really clear to me really quickly that this is a conversation that Black people have been having with their children for generations, and that again, like I say, certain things about human beings um, don't change, context changes, um, but the actual individual things that happen don't very often. Um, and yeah, so that's what inspired that poem. And it's basically about the notion of having that conversation over a number of generations hmm. um, and having it be a pattern that has to pass from one to the next and just hoping that one day the race will run. Hmm. Yeah, and I think you're somebody whose work kind of blends the personal and political and, and the chat is a really, really good example of that. Is that something that's always been the case in your work or was there a point where you started to write more political poetry, do you think? Um, I can tell you exactly when it happened. There was an incident. There was an incident. So um, I was, like I say, I started on the poetry words, spoken word scene about 2015. Mm. Um, was reading a lot of poetry, which was very much um, nature inspired, love poetry, love inspired, very classical mm. forms, all of that. And I had one poem out of about 20, um, which referenced race. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a race poem. It just it, it made an oblique reference to the fact that I was in a mixed race relationship. Um, mm. And I went to one event on the Wednesday, and I think on the following Tuesday, I'd gone to another event in London. And uh, one of the one of the patrons at the second event came to me and said, "Oh, you're the angry black guy." Wow. <laughs> Because they'd heard me do this one poem, which obliquely referenced race, and I think from that moment on, it just became a thing. If this is if this is going to be my platform, if this is what I'm going to be remembered for anyway, let's do it well. Initially, I did very much your your work that I heard tended to be on sort of love, romance, like very sexual sort of themes, and there is I did notice a pivot, but yeah, <laughs> I I didn't know that was how it had come about. You're absolutely right. Yeah, there was, it was exactly that. There was something that happened. It was a pivot. It was a conscious decision. Um, and it means that you, you know, that you modify your language a little bit. So you become a little bit more accessible because you want to get, you want people to get the point. You don't want to be too oblique. Otherwise, there isn't much point. In it. Um, so you have to do that. And then, yeah, then you have to use things that people can really visualize and it becomes a little bit more narrative, a little bit more storytelling, because you want people to go on the journey with you. So hmm. um, 
think that was the change. Mm. I think that's so interesting that you got that response just because I know I've had um, a relative of mine came to watch me at Genesis and I think it was you and Tyrone were both on the bill um Tyrone Lewis and she kind of my, my aunt sort of turned to me and sort of said this feels like a really unusual space that uh you know you can have black men being political being quite angry and not be framed or received as aggressive so it's really interesting that you still kind of got that response no I think yeah I think the reason why I fell in love with the scene in the first place is the fact that you it's an accepting scene and you there's Okay, so there there, have been two scenes in my entire life where I've gone there and my guard goes down rather than goes up. Uh, And I work in events. I spend all day speaking (laughs) to strangers. I'm I'm used to it. Um, And that was the the queer scene in London, Hmm. uh, circa 99 through to about 2008. um, When I was clubbing and poetry and it's the two places that I've ever felt where I could just drop all kinds of like build built up defenses that you built up over years and just be myself. Um, so yeah, I get it's weird. People do occasionally see you as the angry black guy, even in that scenario, mm. because um, yeah, but it still feels it still feels accepting, even though. So you know, it's not not <laughs> it's a good thing. The arsehole percentage is still there, but much, much more <laughs> general. Yeah, and much more polite about it. You know, they will say excuse me before they say something racist. <laughs> <laughs> Your works, you know, like the, the poem you just did did for us now with the, with the, the bucket, you know, hits on all those notes of being accessible, being understandable, being relatable, um, and, you know, very much is you know i i I don't know if if you might see it as a as a race poem but it's also it's also like a anti-capitalist poem right yeah Yeah. it is Uh, yeah it's the um i mean there's there's a few poems in the book um tales from the other box which are basically written from the point of view of um this the failure of the system it's not just it's not just about racism it's not just about homophobia it's not just about um shitting all over the working class it is the fact that the system itself is fundamentally broken even though it's actually working perfectly uh, you <laughs> it, it's not there is no moral authority in creating frenetic activity purely so that individuals can enjoy things which should be their right anyway. Because mm. that's what we do. We Capitalism creates this frenetic um, energy and industry all around the notion that people should be able to feed themselves, ho- home themselves, have access to water and health. And the whole economy is set around this and capitalism is basically driving this insane thing just so that people can be secure and it's mad so i just broken so I, to say point out any opportunity i get <laughs> <laughs> damn right so on that note tell us about the book um so the book was a couple of years in the making it's a collection of poems which are sometimes from the first person sometimes 
in the second person, sometimes in the third person, um, but they always tell uh, an individual story. Um, and it is sort of autobiographical in that all of the stories that are in the book are stories that I've had direct contact with. So it's not, okay. um, so yeah, it's kind of, there's stories about dementia, there are stories about loss and grief, um, there are stories about um, queer experience in London, there's, there, there are poems about all sorts of things in there, um, but it's always told, it's every story, sorry, every poem has a story behind it, essentially, um, and sometimes it's more obvious than others, and I try, hopefully I'll get away with it, to fill in the stories in the blank spaces between the poems. Quite a few of the poems are linked up, and I think when you read the collection, there, there are threads that you can pull. Um, so, yeah. It's exciting. It's, it's interesting to hear how the poems are kind of coming together. You say it take, took you a couple of years. Um, what kind of – I'm going to be me and ask about the process. Like what kind of process <laughs> did you go through when you were choosing what was going in and not going in and putting so, it together? Yeah, so the process was, it was arduous, I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> we, there were there were more poems that, that I could have put in. There were some poems which were in and then got taken out actually at quite a late stage. Um, hmm. And because I wanted to, I wanted every poem to have a counterpoint within the collection. So there are... Um, references to particular thought experiments in one poem and then it pops up again later on in another poem and that sort of thing so it, it was a case of making sure that every poem was not just in there on its own merits but also added to the overall message that I wanted to convey and then occasionally mm. you find one which you kind of go well that doesn't do either so um where you go um so yeah there was quite a lot of editing um and then consistently throughout I wanted to forego punctuation that required quite a lot okay. of break, um, quite a lot of work line breaks and various things like that um, and yeah so I think overall I'm, I'm very happy with what what we did um, I just hope I just hope the message comes across I hope what I'm trying to say resonates with the right people, I guess. What do you think the message is? I think overall the, the message for me is there are stories everywhere. And like an ordinary person on commuting for an hour going through London will pass a thousand stories on their way to work. Mm. Uh, they won't notice they passed a thousand stories on their way to work, um, but they will. Uh, then you get writers and poets who a little bit more observant, they will see the guy crying while he's reading the newspaper, they will see the woman going into work, fixing her makeup and changing what she was wearing when she left the house and be able to extrapolate a story from it. Um, and other people won't. <laughs> and I guess what the collection was trying to do was just trying to get people, everyone, to look a little bit closer at the stories they're missing. Interesting. Um, look a little bit harder for the humanity in the people that they're passing. 
I think the world will be a better place if we do that. Do you mind? Do you mind if I ask a, a really kind of basic ass question? What was behind the kind of decision to forego punctuation? I'm really, really curious about that. Partly because I am a perfectionist, and it got to the point where I remember trying to submit a poem to a journal and couldn't decide over the positioning positioning of a particular, of a particular comma um, and then ended up not admitting it. Um, and it just becomes, it becomes that thing where punctuation becomes, especially in poetry, becomes one of those things where you can get it so wrong hmm. that sometimes I think, the way I see it is, poem is, poetry is about sound and breath as much as anything. It's about where you take your pause, it's about where you um, draw your breath either because you need to because you're reading it or because you need to because you need to digest what's come before and I think space is the most natural way of conveying that punctuation is fantastic but actually um, if you just let people just go hang on I'm supposed to I'm supposed to notice something here um, whether it's a, a full stop or a, or, or a comma or what have you um, can distract from what you're actually trying to say. That's really fascinating. It's that thing of when, when I'm reading poems and I think, so why did they put the comma there? Because actually I wouldn't put it there. It's not, it, yeah, it's that thing of interpret the space however you want to, interpret the space as a full stop or interpret it as a uh, comma, you know, as an end dash, as an ellipsis. Whatever you need to, to make the poem make sense to you, you can interpret it how you want. Um, I'm not going to dictate that to you. It's I'm saying this is the point you need to breathe because we all have to remember to breathe. It's interesting you saying that because, you know, I think for me, one of the things when I see you perform, um, which, you know, has happened quite a lot, I think for, for all three of us, um, we've seen you perform loads. And one of the things that really strikes me is that you go up on stage and you kind of, will stand and you can always you can always tell it's Rick Dub because there's kind of a kind of quiet that drops um on the audience while you're kind of standing there taking a breath kind of preparing yourself is is what I always see when you go up on stage it's interesting talking that you're talking about breath and kind of the physicality of of what's happening on the page because I always think about physicality when I'm seeing you perform. It's obviously important to you to think about the physicality of it. Yeah, I guess I I I was a like I say when I, I started poetry a, a long time ago, it then stopped for a long time. And in that break, when I wasn't being a person and just writing <laughs> and reading poems on the side ever so often, um, I was mm -hmm. playing a lot of team sport. I was um, okay. rugby and football at Durham University and and breath is important. It's just, I, I can't describe it. I mean, human beings are an inc incredible animals. We're incredible animals. We're bipedal animals, which means that we can run and recover at the same time, which is an insect, which is really, really <laughs> unique in the animal world in that if you've got a four-legged animal, every time they take a stride, they compress their lungs. So they can run really, really fast, but they get out of breath. Human beings hmm. run upright, which means that we can recover while we're running. 
which means if we can keep a, a deer in sight, we can chase it down. And breath is hugely important to to me. I think it's existence, and I think I don't know. I I can't do justice to what I think about breathing. It's it's the thing. <laughs> I do, I do distance running. I do um, breathing exercises to calm myself down when I've got anxiety. I, like breath is so important. Mm. It's like, it's my thing. <laughs> awesome. And is that a theme in your, in your book as well? Or do you, do you feel like you write about it as well as sort of inhabit? And... I've written about it on occasion. Um, there is one poem which is very much written in the rhythm of breathing and i don't want to um don't want to spoil the surprise but there is a particular mm. thing that i do throughout with the, the, I, there's a particular thing that i do throughout the collection and mm. within this this one poem it the convention changes mm. because it's about breath and i yeah i don't want to spoil the but i i went for a particular convention and then broke it for this particular thing um just to signify that it was uh you tease right <laughs> so we we don't know what the thing is but that's already telling us that there is a lot of thought and pacing and yeah a, a lot of angles considered in your work which is no surprise having heard you perform a bunch of times but that's yeah and where can we get hold of your book because we can't buy it off you at a gig at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. It's so sad. Um, so we have got the uh, pre-order opening very shortly, which will be through my Big Cartel website. I can't remember the URL off top of them, and I haven't got it in front of me. rickdovepoet.bigcartel.com? That sounds right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, yeah, so that will be available for pre-order Um probably by the time this has gone live yeah for a signed copy especially and so don't buy it off amazon for signed copies yeah that you can order those direct from me and there'll be a tenner plus posters and packaging um and then uh they're available for the website all independent bookshops go out to bookshops and order the book because if you go to an independent bookshop and book you're doing them a solid you'll probably end up with more than one book you'll be doing me a solid and yeah everyone is good um, so yeah, go out to independent bookshops and order it or order it through the website or order it direct from Burning Eye as well. So yeah, there's lots of ways. If you, um, for listeners who are socially distancing at the moment and can't necessarily get to a local independent bookshop, there's a website. Obviously, if your local bookshop has a website, go through them. But also hive.co.uk mm. allows you to order through a local bookshop to you. Um, and Ooh. Yeah, supports independent bookshops. So they're a good place to order as an alternative if you are socially distancing um, and shielding, etc. Really, yeah. Notice I didn't mention the A word. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Arse. Hannah did. Arse. <gasps> no. Uh, <laughs> and what, what do you hope readers will take away from your book, Tales from the Other Books, which is available on August 13th? Yeah, I think the the thing I want to leave people with is the uh, idea that you need to look a little bit deeper at the people that you're around and try and understand where they're coming from, try and understand their stories and the notion that you may be the protagonist in your own story, but everyone's the protagonist in their own story. Mm -hmm. So just be a bit more respectful. I love doing the poetry thing. I'm terrible at the self-promotion thing. 
<laughs> I will do I do the writing and I'll get up on stage and it's I always get down from stage in the hope that people aren't going to boo me off rather <laughs> than the expectation that people are going to clap me off and I think that's the attitude that I've always taken with life it's, it's more the case of let's make sure we don't screw this up eh? um sorry has any fucker actually ever booed you off the stage because fuck we those want people names like, and a- <laughs> yeah yeah I I have absolutely do you know what it's that thing of um I have a really vivid memory for my dreams and I've had that one you know when you go up and in front of people and suddenly you're naked I've had that dream way too mm. Um, so there is there is a, a bit of me which is going, has that actually happened or has that not happened? Is there anything else you want to plug, Rick? Anything else? Um, oh, actually. Um, yeah, I knew there would be. I knew there would be. Actually, I would like to give a massive well done and everything to um, one of my stable mates, actually, at... Um, Burning Eye Books, who managed to get a quote from the great Stephen Fry um, on his book, Manatomy. Manatomy, also available from Burning Eye Books. It's James McDermott's book. You know that thing of just thinking, I wish I'd thought of that. Did he have a link (laughs) to Stephen Fry already? How how did that... No idea. It's just like, why didn't I send my book to Stephen Fry? I mean, Jesus, wow. I'm talking off cover quotes, though, Rick. Am I right in thinking that you've got a pretty illustrious cover mm-hmm. quote on yours? I was really lucky, actually, because um, I was performing at uh, Penting Poetry, which is mm. put together by the wonderful Repeat Beat Poet. And uh, I was on the open mic uh, probably about 12 months ago, um, the same night that Joe Robinson was um as a feature um and mm-hmm. i had the good fortune of asking him whether he'd give me a quote in person in the flesh face to face like those things happen <laughs> um of asking him if he'd give me a quote for the book uh, and this was before he won the t.s Eliot prize and do you know what the sort of person i am if he'd won the prize before I wouldn't have asked him. Mm. <laughs> um, and Strong relate. it was just one of those really, really um, fortuitous things that I'd asked him before. Um, and then he came through and it's just the most wonderful thing I could have said. And then when I got made redundant, actually, I, I put up on social media that I'd been made redundant. And um, his response under my post on Facebook was basically, you just need to sharpen up your workshop game and you'll be fine. Mm. Um, so, um, that was kind of like, yeah, that was quite um, nice. So, yeah. He's a very supportive person. <laughs> He's a very supportive person. And I, yeah, I'm I'm over the moon. Yay. I mean, I'm very much looking forward to Rick Dove workshops in the future now then. Yeah, I'll be in the queue for that shit. Yeah, what are those happening? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Not even really joking. I'm from a family of teachers, though. This is the weird thing. I'm from a family uh. of teachers. And um, every time we get together over Christmas, uh, one of the running jokes at the dinner table is, when are you going to do a proper job? <laughs> I.e., when are you going to become a teacher? Uh-huh. So if I end up doing poetry workshops, they win. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, cool. 
well i think that seems like a good place to leave it thank cool. you rick okay, yes. excellent. thank you very much in our writing tips section we ask one of our favorite poets for a piece of writing advice or a prompt which you can use in your own work this month Catherine o'driscoll shares a tip Hi guys. So I've been thinking a lot about when I'm editing other people's work, I try really hard not to say, this is a bit of a cliche, lads. Um, I try to say, uh, you have an opportunity here to use a more original image or phrase, because it's a nicer way of saying it. And it reminds people that like they get to use their creative uh, capabilities uh, to strengthen their whole piece. Um, I'm not personally against cliches because they serve their purpose, but when I'm reading a poem, I find that nothing draws me in more than having something like an unusual pairing of images, something I've not heard before, but that does make sense when I think about it. Um, I do have an exercise that I run with groups when I try to help them think about creative associations and metaphors, and I'm going to explain it, and you are welcome to join in at home. So the first thing I ask them, and now you, <laughs> to do is to list five things. So they're probably nouns. It could be an emotion, a person, but something. So my thing, I will just do one, is a spoon. Once you've got that list, pick one or two that you like the best and write five descriptors that you associate with that thing. So for example, I've got spoon. So I might say silver, shiny, cold messy, wooden. Those might be my five ways of describing a spoon. The third stage is forget about the spoon. <laughs> Ignore the first list completely. Grab one of your descriptors and list five things that you could also describe with that descriptor that isn't your original word. So one of my descriptors was cold. Uh, things that are cold are winter, hallways, morgues, teenage girls at bus stops and my feet in bed at night so you've got your third list and then the final stage is to bring back the original word that you started with use the elements you have now to try and mix and match to see what works together so if I take spoon from list one cold from list two and morgue from my last list I know that I could use these things together and I can allow myself to use the morgue element to create the tone. For example, in this poem, spooning. The spoon was as cold as the morgue, laying death still beside her abandoned teacup. I couldn't bear to move it until the perfume faded from the house, and I'd finally managed to stop calling her voicemail. When doing this exercise, you can focus on words within a particular tone or semantic field if you know where you want the poem to go. I like to associate words from the horror genre with loss and mental health. That's what I ended up doing here with spooning, but that's just my style. You can be as restrictive or as free as you want to be with each stage, but usually you end up creating a metaphor that you wouldn't have normally. Uh, something that comes not from a pre-existing idea that those things are related. So you're more likely to end up with something original that catches the reader's attention, but still does make sense as a metaphor. The steps are, again, in case you missed them, list some things, describe them, think of things you can describe the same way without thinking of your original word, and then see if anything fits together. Feel free to tweet anything you come up with at PoetryOD, that's me, 
just because I'm nosy. Um, I find it a fun way to keep creating new metaphors, keep my writing fresh, and uh, stop getting stuck with the same <laughs> same. I get I write about rivers a lot, <laughs> so I try not to write about rivers and try and think of other things that might say the same thing but in a different way. Now it's time for our book of the month, which this month is Don't Call Us Dead by Denez Smith, which was chosen by Hannah. Hannah, why did you pick this book? This one was on my list of list, my pile of books I had purchased and not yet gotten to. <laughs> so when we were looking for the next one, yeah, I'd um, I'd also recently at a, I think it was at one of the Insight Nights, um, someone had done a poem that was very much riffing on Dear White America. And so I'd recently gone back and found gone back and looked at that on YouTube, um, having not thought about it for a while. So yeah, it was it was at the front of my mind and in my stack of books I hadn't read yet. So that's why. I mean, Dinesh Smith is just a incredible, both raw and polished voice of queer black America um, and writes on those topics a lot. Um, what I didn't know when I until I got to it was how much this would also be about HIV, which I found... Yeah. Um, um, Intense. Yeah, big time. And and I, I have a very close friend who is now HIV positive. And yeah, the weird, it's not a death sentence now, but like I, I went through a, probably a minor grieving for it. Yeah, it's it's a, yeah, it, it was intense to look at it from, from, intense to read it from a first person perspective versus, I don't know. And particularly from a black queer perspective that there is a poem, It Won't Be a Bullet, which is basically well, I'm probably going to die of this, so I probably won't get shot. Um, and that's kind of, yeah, that's makes you inhale when you realise what's going on in this poem. And there's there's even one poem which has the statistic that um, one in two black men who have sex with men in the States is or will be HIV positive, which is just, man, f- fuck America's um, <laughs> health system in all the way... It, they, they need it obviously so more more health system please rather than fuck it but jesus <laughs> um what i also didn't realize until i got to it was um dinosaurs in the hood i did not realize that um tyrone lewis has a poem which yeah. is yeah. Yeah. so closely riffing on it and i i believe he does attribute it yeah yeah so so tyrone's poem is kind of black sherlock holmes isn't it and kind of talking mm. about like this is a black sherlock holmes but it won't be a black film it's just you know, just happens to be um, Samuel L. Jackson cast as, as uh, Sherlock Holmes. And kind of, yeah, there's so many kind of the boy on the bus is repeated, like always is kind of is echoing uh, this Dennis Smith poem that sort of talks about basically critiquing the way film treats black people, but through the medium of dinosaurs. Like the fact that the two things that, yeah, there's, there's two book poems in this collection, which I'd already heard UK poets riff on. Tyrone did a credit it he must have right yes it it credits the nurse <laughs> i was like it's so similar reading it i was just like is this actually what like this is weird i hadn't we read this one before. artist we didn't no no it's credited yeah. this, 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 this is another <laughs> spitting your teeth in the sink thing Oh god! Yeah, yeah. No, this this is not. It wasn't a what? Sorry. So this was a couple of years ago that basically this this poet had 
basically someone just took her to task and said, you ripped off my work to the point where mm. she had it was something like hell spangled girl spitting teeth in the sink. And the first poet was spitting like teeth and bullets. But what, yeah. the, what the poet who ripped her off did not know was that she was describing her own really fucking severe childhood abuse. Yeah. She was um, actually, she was talking about spitting her teeth into the sink after being beaten up by a, a, par- a parental figure. Um, yeah. And like lines that had not made the edit were, uh, and she, in a very angry Twitter thread, she was like, don't you fucking dare rip off my work. Here's a line that didn't make the edit. Two fairies don't come for ones that your dad hits out, etc. Like not only yeah. have you ripped off my work and that's bad form, but this is my incredibly mm. hard one fucking experience don't you dare this other girl who'd ripped her off had like yeah had had, had i think submitted it to publication but yeah, she, she'd had the line tattooed on her arm like <gasps> oh my god i remember yeah, this i do remember you talking about this before actually yeah, yeah. it was mm. pro- and i just i also just don't know why you do that like i'm not i'm mm. not clear like what you'd get from presenting somebody else's work as your own to be honest like i don't know surely you know uh, it's going to stalk you down at some point come on um, yeah, but also, like, what the fuck are you getting praise for? I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, anyway, that's not what's going on here. Yeah, you said you knew two two poets that had, yeah. had riffed on this. Who was the other one? It was Simon Madrill, um, who's mm. an Insight regular, who, who uh, very much yeah. introduced it as this is my <laughs> white but queer version of, um, yeah, so Dear White America is, the Dene Smith poem is addressed to Dear White America, I've... I've fucking had it. Um, <laughs> you get no more second chances. You can't keep treating us like this. And Simon Madrill did a, with a very clear homage and a, go look up this poem, it's amazing, but a dear, dear straight, <laughs> dear straight Britain, um, or dear straight something, I can't remember the exact, but yeah, very much using the same format. And the fact that in this one collection, there's two pieces that I know UK poets have kind of, wanted to do very direct homages to kind of speaks to the power of this collection mm. i mean i rather love the kind of opening it's kind of presented as one poem but you could also read it as lots of little mm. poems um summer somewhere and i just it's just this kind of basically it's creating this idea of this kind of heaven sort of space for basically black boys whose lives have been ended too soon as a result of, I mean, particularly police violence, um, is the kind of implication. But it's just this kind of really beautiful, sad, elegiac poem that's also just incredibly warm and inviting, and, and like it's, it's such an incredible balance to 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 create. Yeah, and with some very with this mix of like very not general, but like some some broad themes of you know that these are ways that young black men in the states come to unnaturally early deaths mixed in with some very specific say references to Trayvon Martin um and it it has some very very clear recent specifics that you can't avoid but it's also got this kind of mythological quality to it and it reminded me a bit Mm. almost of um if you've read uh Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five um there's this sort of strange Mm -hmm. dream sequence the guy has where he basically watches World War Two backwards where all the fires get captured into these bombs and sucked up into the sky and then they get taken back by planes where mostly women it's lovely dismantle them and like and the the this kind of like the the destruction happening in reverse and i i Mm. thought of that a lot with yeah with this one is it 25 page or something this 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 sequence it's a long one the opening poem yeah 
One thing I wanted to say is that I, I mean, firstly, I love the book. I really loved it. And one of the things that I loved a lot about it is that it has, as you're saying, Rebecca, this, the first poem, Summer Somewhere, is sort of a poem, but it's also sort of a string of mm. poems. It's, it's like a sequence, if you like, of some very short poems culminating together to be one longer one. And they're presented like that with, with spaces between them, one on each page for 25 poems. And it was a really interesting thing to see that. It's almost mm. like when you hear a song sequence or something like that, rather than kind of explicitly saying this is poem one, this is poem two, more allowing one to run into the next to run into the next. Um, but also like it enables the bits at the end of the individual secrets to have that gut punch and then you're like, oh no, we're still, mm. we're still in this. We're still, we're still talking about this subject, but you just, you're going to sit with that for a sec before you turn the page. Yeah. 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 And, it, you know, it, it physically uses the space really. It's interesting having just chatted with Rick about, you know, the decision not to, not to have line breaks, the decision not to have broken some of these longer pieces down into smaller poems is a really interesting stylistic choice. And I really love how you can read that, that opener, that 25 page uh, of small poems. And then there's another one that's a haiku and both of them are, or one that's a, one that's a list, for example, um, almost like a, a multiple choice question. Um, and I love how it's playing with form. And I love how the delicacy that is there in, say a haiku is there in the longer sequences of poems and I think that's a really ambitious thing to do and a really well delivered aspect of the collection Mm. and then when you compare that with there is a page that is just the words his blood and my blood printed at random across this page and overlapping and printed and getting increasingly kind of like it, it, it must have been hell for them to typeset that one yeah <laughs> what the hell does that look like but it, it looks like the, you know when you when like sort of your old windows computer used to go a bit funny and it would just leave trails mm. whatever you'd mm. written last across the screen it looks like that <laughs> like it's bonkers and it's this really kind of yeah to go from that kind of previous precision to this really kind of like scattergun aggressively all over the place um mm kind of thing is he's just really it's really clever like it it knows exactly what it's doing and why and how it's got to to that point everything in it feels very intentional just looking at this poem recklessly and you know the going back to the hiv theme that hannah touched on earlier um the final sort of uh, i I don't even know if if you can call it a poem or whether you call it a stanza but the last part of the poem is kind of an erasure of itself. So the first line is, it's not a death sentence anymore. And then the next line is, it's not death anymore with spaces where the where the words come out. And then it's more, it's a sentence and then just a sentence. And that's the end of the poem. And it's, there are like, there's another one because there's some notes at the back about the poems. There's one that is a, an erasure of, um, uh, Oh yeah, blood hangover is Diana Ross's love hangover, but with words removed from it to make a new, um, a new poem, which is interesting. That's amazing. I haven't um, read that. There's this yeah very strong theme of blood, either from kind of family lines and violence, and also yeah with HIV and sort of the enemy 
within virus being vi there's a line oh god i'm not gonna be able to find it in time but about t t cells being police police or something it's, yeah it's, blood cells and police cells kind oh of um, juxtaposing yeah very interwoven very i mean it's, it's absolutely masterful just in terms of the typesetting is is so varied they are so confident with form and how to oh god i don't even know what i'm saying um there's almost no two poems that look the same on the page and there's clearly been so much thought into every line in terms of imagery how it's set out how much you make explicit how much you don't it's it's yeah i was chatting with a writer that i'm uh asked me to edit some of their poems this month and they were asking about form and about line break and you know the physical layout of stuff on the page and i think one of the best pieces of advice i've had on it before is obviously there's no hard and fast rule but you want the reader to know that you have done things intentionally um if it's just laid out kind of without intention that really shows because it just looks a bit naff. But here, everything feels intentional. Mm -hmm. Every layout, every decision about the language, every decision about the way that it looks on the page and the way even, you know, there, there are blank pages, the way those look feels like a very cohesive and thought out thing. Rick, you were telling us just before... Rick is still here, by the way. Hi, Rick. You <laughs> were telling us just before we started chatting about the book that you are a fan of Dennis Smith as well. Yes, very much, very, very much a fan. Um, I've got their book, uh, Homie, um, which is one which I turn to quite a lot. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely gutted. They became my unicorn, actually, a little bit, because... Um, they were in London and performed twice in 2019, missed them both times. Um, and as a result of missing them both times, started to take a real interest in what was going on in London and ended up starting like a little blog, which listed all the events that were happening in London, just to make sure that when Dinesh Smith went back to London, I didn't miss them again. Um, and <laughs> that was the only reason for doing it. Um, and then um, people thought, oh, that'd be quite a good idea. And they started following it and all that. Sort of stuff. And then um, obviously COVID happened and I bought tickets um, to see them mm. at Pages in Hackney mm. in March. And then COVID happened and they cancelled their flight. And no. I, I've, I've never been so gutted in my life. But anyway. That's, uh, That's a shame. <laughs> You've read Homie, their follow-up to this book, but not this one. Mm -hmm. What is it about their work that, you know, that you're such a fan of? <laughs> um, like you said, I think there's, there, there is a, um, I wouldn't say, there's a confidence. That's what it is. There is a confidence about the decisions that are made on the page, um, which I aspire to. There is a real sense of... Um, I've got something to say and I know exactly how I want to say it, which have nothing but admiration for. I try to emulate that for sort of, I in a slightly different way, I've got a slightly different voice, but as a black queer man myself, it is that thing of that kind of confidence is impressive to me. <laughs> I'd, I'd really recommend it to people who don't read poetry 
that much because I think going back to what you were saying, Rick, about, you know, the precision and about communicating it. One of the things that I sometimes find difficult sometimes with reading, particularly some American poets, I find sometimes the, the meaning less clear than the sound and the musicality of the language. But here, they're really, really in tune. And I think also that that translates on the page that sometimes you look at poetry books and you go, why, why the fuck is half of that half of that line on the other side of the page? Like, I don't understand. I don't mm. know what it's doing. It feels like you're just trying to be clever. Um, whereas this, it does feel like, like I can see the point they're trying to make when they mess around with where stuff goes on the page. Yeah, I think it, it, like it, it, it's almost a really interesting kind of learning experience or... That makes it sound really clinical. Um, but you know what I mean? That it, it just, you kind of go, ah, okay, this is what it's aiming for. This is what those other poets are trying to do. I think it's because it feels in service of greater accessibility to the work mm. rather than trying to obfuscate the work. It's not trying to look clever. It is <laughs> clever. <laughs> yeah. It's communicating well. And that's, you know, not always... obvious when you read a poetry book this is absolutely masterful and it's absolutely not the dead white guys that you grew (laughs) it it, that yeah i i think there's something about seeing someone absolutely at the top of their game but seeing someone who is this masterful it is incredibly considered and precise but it's not overly formal i think it's yeah a good entry point for what damn good looks like (laughs) i mean also just reading this book at the moment that you know, I had to go back and look at when it was published. And of course, it's 2017. And hmm. no fucking thing has changed. Mm-hmm. And it feels like it was written yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it's an incredible incredible collection to be reading at the moment. But yeah, you kind of wish it felt more like a historical artifact than it does. Yeah, I mean, Rick, as a, as a black queer person reading Danez's work... Are there particular sort of aspects to it that you think have different weight for you? If that's not a incorrect question to ask, <laughs> um, I, I get. I, I, no, I know. I I totally understand exactly what you're asking, and I think I think I, it would be impossible to say no. I think it's impossible to say no. I think if there is that thing of as much as I believe that people's identity aren't necessarily tied up in um aren't people people's identity is not necessarily tied up in their sexuality their gender or their race i don't believe that i think people's mm. identity is entirely independent of that people make moral judgments people make people make decisions about the world based on other things our gender race sexuality our lenses that we look through that help us interpret the world and it's impossible to have someone whose lenses are very similar to yours and see their vision and not have it touch you in a slightly different way. It's, it, I, I see the world more through his eyes than I do through a lot of poets' eyes that I read, if that makes any sense. Mm. The things that they have noticed, I'm more attuned to notice myself because I'm looking through the same lenses. I, it's, I can't... I'm trying not to well up. <laughs> it's that thing of... I'm not alone. And sometimes poetry is the best medium in the world to convey to you that you're not alone. And sometimes when 
somebody is speaking to you in a language that you totally understand because of your experiences being the same, that feeling of not being alone is even more powerful. So Dennis Smith's Don't Call Us Dead is available on Chateau Poetry for ten ninety nine, And uh, yeah, we thoroughly recommend it. Excellent book. Now it's time for our notice board section, where we spotlight 10 or so opportunities to look out for where you can perform your work or submit it for publication. So first up this month, we've got Creative Voices Poetry Course, which is hosted by Harker Shaw Poetry. It's an online summer course with workshops to be held twice a week, Tuesdays uh, 7 till 8.30 and Saturdays 7 till 8.30 from the 4th to the 29th of August. There will also be two individual one-to-one mentoring sessions to give detailed feedback on your work, and that's £100 for the whole course. In terms of events, we've also got She Growls, which is a feminist arts night, so normally that happens in a physical space. Um, is that the Poetry Cafe normally, guys? Mm, it is. Up. It's also been at Bethnal Green, um, in a cafe in Bethnal Green before as well. I'm forgetting the name of now. Anyway, yes, so that one, normally a physical night hosted by Carmina Moss Oliver, and that's on Friday 7th of August from 7.30 till 8.30. Again, check it out on Facebook. Then uh, Dust Magazine has opened submissions for its fifth issue on the theme Portrait. Submissions close 28th of August and the issue will be out in September. Submissions by email to dustpoetrymagazine at gmail.com and for more information, visit dustpoetry.co.uk forward slash submissions dash one hannah uh have you got anything to draw people's attention to yeah so there's a couple from the poetry society um their stanza competition uh is open now which is specifically for people who are members of both the poetry society and the poetry society stanza um I need to double check the rules about stanza, but I am a member of the Poetry Society and I thoroughly recommend it if you're based in London for being able to book the Poetry Cafe more cheaply, um, let alone there's the is it quarterly magazine with lots of details about the latest things going on. So that one is free entry if you remember um, and poetry should be 40 lines maximum. It's open till September the 1st. Um, and there's also their magazine has uh, submissions also for 40 line poem. 40 line poems or fewer and that's uh, poetrysociety.org.uk for more details this one is not exactly an opportunity but i thought it was important in these uh in these unique and difficult times um says thomason who i believe we featured as was it poem of the month they were our part of the month yes. a couple of months ago yeah i don't remember when um yeah says thomason um has written an article for disability arts online which is disabilityarts.online specifically about spoken word online and how to make virtual events really accessible which is full of tips and it's it's i recommend it on a kind of like i don't think anyone's got four points um for for example um poetry slam at your place gets a special shout out but rick has been fairly straightforward about being about saying there is more I want to do. We're not done yet, um, but this is an evolving thing. So I'd thoroughly recommend that just for things to be aware of as a promoter, as an audience member, all the rest of it. Um, and also um, I spotted that the literary consultancy known as TLC um, has launched something called the TLC Scholarship Programme. I think they're planning on making it annual, but this is the first one. 
and they are inviting submissions exclusively from black British writers. Submissions open on August 3rd and they're open until uh, the 21st of August and you can get some really, really awesome specialised coaching. And to find out more, that is literaryconsultancy.co.uk. Laurie, what have you got? Applications for the Women Poets Prize 2020 are also now open. Um, it's awarded to three women poets, and the prize provides mentoring and pastoral coaching to nurture craft and well-being, um, as well as professional development opportunities. And this year, the prize is going to be judged by Malika Booker, who's a great poet, Liz Berry and Pascal Petit, who are also great poets. The deadline for that is Friday, the 14th of August at 11 p.m. And you can find out more about it at rebeccaswiftfoundation.org stroke women hyphen poets hyphen prize. Um, and that was lovingly nicked from the Apples and Snakes uh, newsletter. So all props to them for promoting that project. Project Lockdown is a writing project to collect, compile and collate individual stories of the lockdown experience. Um, the invitation is to write in any shape or form expressing your individual experience of lockdown. Um, and they're looking for stories, letters, diary entries, reflections, accounts, poems. Basically, if it's writing, they want it. And they're going to put 100 individual pieces um, into a collection reflecting the experiences that people are having at the moment in this weird time. Um, you can find out more information at NAWE, which is N-A-W-E.co.uk. And the deadline is 30th of August. Finally, from me, there's the Virtual Writing Advice Desk, um, which is a project which is online, um, which offers writers free feedback and advice from experienced published writers on scripts, novels, and poetry. And the Advice Desk is free to access and open to all writers until the end of October 2020. Um, you can find out more at windowsprojectwritingadvice.wordpress.com. And I believe it's done on a first-come, first-served basis each month. So good to get ahead in August if you can as soon as you finish listening to this episode. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so in a moment, we're going to have our live poem of the month to play us out. But before we do that, anything you guys want to plug? Sure. You can follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Laurie Eves Poet or on Twitter at Mr. L. Eves. Also, uh, my book Biceps is out now on Burning Eye Books. You can buy it from their website, burningeye.co.uk or from my Big Cartel page, laurieeves.bigcartel.com. Also, the audio version of Biceps, which is out on cassette and also now on streaming services, pretty much wherever you listen to online music or spoken word, you can probably find it. I'm Hannah underscore Hutzber on Twitter and Instagram, Husband, uh, C-H-U-T-Z-P-A-H. That is the easy to spell alternative to my real name. Uh, and uh, I have a Facebook page as Hannah Hutzberg for my poetry. Yeah, so stay up to date with mostly at the minute it's virtual gigs. And I'll be honest, most of my Instagram at this point is um, pictures of flowers I've seen or masks I've been sewing. So if you're interested in... Um, handcrafting your way through the apocalypse uh yes give me a follow <laughs> uh you can find me on twitter at rebecca k cooney and my website rebecca k cooney uh, i'm also on instagram at any name but becky 
Uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Dead Darlings Pod, Facebook as Dead Darlings Podcast, and you can email us at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram as uh, at Dead Darlings Pod. If you liked what you heard, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast and help us spread the word. We do like to hear from you, so do do say hello because it's very nice, um, particularly when everybody's very lonely at the moment. It's nice. No, nah, I just love screaming into the void. That's what I like. Okay, well, Laurie aside, uh, <laughs> um, do you want to scream, Laurie? Is that is that? No, I'm. I'm okay. gonna keep it, I'm going to bottle it all up, and it's basically never going to come out. Okay, Laurie is repressing into the void. Laurie is repressing. Anyway, our poem of the month was performed by Martin Gray. Before we share Martin's poem with you, uh, I just wanted to thank Martin for letting us showcase his work, to Catherine for her tip. Thank you to my co-hosts, Hannah and Laurie, to Rick Dove for joining us, to Texas Radio for our theme music, and to you for listening. Bye. Bye. Hello. My name's Martin Gray. I'm a Nottingham-based poet, member of two local Nottingham creative organisations, DIY Poets and World Jam. And also my first book, The Pretty Boys of Gangster Town, is being released on 11th of September through Fly on the Wall Poetry, which still feels pretty amazing every time I say it. The book is about the connections we attempt to form with others and how they change with time, circumstance and tragedy. So there is quite a lot of serious content in the book, but I've also tried to put a lot of hope and optimism in into the book as well. It's kind of very much sort of two competing emotions. And I want to read one of the more positive and hopeful pieces from the collection um, today. If you want to find out more about me, you can go to martingraypoet.com or flyonthewallpoetry.co.uk. And I hope you enjoy my poem. It's called Escape Velocity. I want to be an astronaut. I want us to break escape velocity and soar beyond our atmosphere from Earth to outer space. I want us to fly until Madrid to Mount Fuji fit inside our warm embrace. I want to be an astronaut. I want us to sit on space debris, blowing our anxiety away until we see unpolluted skies 24 hours a day. I want to be an astronaut. I want us to sail to Mars on solar winds, build castles in its dark red sand. I want us to jump in its 0.4 of Earth's gravity as high as we can. I want to be an astronaut. I want us to hitch a ride off Halley's Comet through the asteroid belt, slingshotting ourselves to Saturn where I'd get some rings for your co-pilot fingers and we paint Stephen Hawking's soul on Titan's orange-black canvas. I want to be an astronaut. I want us to lasso Voyager 2, swing ourselves through the Kuiper belt towards her past the spot where our older sister cocked her head to pale blue dot our insignificance so we can tell her she hasn't been forgotten by giving her a hand through the hellier sheath i want us to push her on so third law hard we'd launch ourselves back to our cleaned up earth with just enough time to shout at pluto you'll be a planet again and to break through europa's ice to wave at the undiscovered life and its unexplored liquid methane i want to be an astronaut Come with me.